very um, adventurous, very outdoorsy. And I think I was just brought up into that. Uh, I'm an only child, so my parents kind of just dragged me along for everything they did. And it sparked um, a, like a, a need for adventure in me. I don't really sit still well, so. Uh, I grew up in Staten Island, so in New York City, but my parents have a place in upstate New York in the Adirondacks. Mm. So I spent half of my year in the city and half in the Adirondacks. Nice. So you went there in, for summers, I imagine, most of the time. Yeah, April through October. Wow, that's a long, a long time yeah. to be away from the city. What was that like having yeah, well, it both was, worlds? It was, well, we went weekends April through like the end of June. And then it was the whole summer where we were up there. And then we did the same when school started again. But it was good. Um, I've always kind of liked both. So the city's always been really fun for me. But nature is absolutely my calling. So being in the mountains, fresh air, you know, seeing animals that you don't normally see. It's exciting. So when you were young, you were going up to um, like Adirondacks area, and did you do a lot of hiking? Did you go into the? Did you go into the lakes? What was what was like your, what were your activities like when you were doing that? Yeah, uh, hiking was a big one. I feel like I've burned through more hiking shoes than I can express. Um, and my family is big into like water related sports. So my parents were big water skiers when I was growing up. Um, and that kind of led me down the path of how I ended up in my favorite sport. Scuba, right? Where, so did, was that on like Lake George or Lake Placid? Where were you? We were on Lake George on the northernmost tip. So okay. we were in, um, the town of Tecaroga. Okay. Yeah, so you definitely had water sports and uh, the mountains all around you up there. It's so it's beautiful up there. I love when I can get up. Um, I haven't spent much time in Lake George, but we've done um, we've spent quite a bit of time in Lake Placid. Uh, we like we love to ski, so we get up there in the winters. Um, sometimes, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's beautiful up there in the winter. When did you get into scuba? Um, in 2008, my dad, uh, had a friend who's, he was, um, a troop leader for a boy scout troop. And he said, um, you know, I'm running this class. Do you want to go? And my dad said, well, can I bring Allie on a whim? And I hated it at first. It was, I, my first, uh, it was, we were doing the pool classes during the week. And then we did our open water checkout dives at Dutch Springs quarry. And it was cold and dark. And I had 102 fever on my actual checkout dives. And I didn't complete my dives the first time. So I had to go back two years later just because my dad kept saying, do it, you'll love it, do it. Like you'll fall in love with it. And I yeah. did. Yeah, that's, that's the place in Pennsylvania, right? The the rock quarry. Yeah, yeah I think I've they heard, just I've heard it. it gets pretty cold there. They closed it, you said? I think so, yeah. They... They were talking about it for a while, but I think it's officially closed now. Yeah. So, so you went there when you were young, have you been, and, and then you went back, did you go back there to get your, uh, your checkout dives and get certified, like finish your certification? I did. Yeah. I did two years later.
I actually don't have a ton of memory of my checkout dives. I just remember getting them done and like how overjoyed my dad was. Mm. Your dad was overjoyed. And then, oh yeah, because then he had a buddy. He had something like you finally got to finish or check off that box. Um, happy about I don't remember. I think at the time it was just like a finally my dad's off my back and I did something cool kind of experience. Hmm. And then did I didn't like right fully away? fall. Sorry. Did you put it to use right away? No. Um, I kept doing certifications after that with my dad. So I went through advanced and then I begrudgingly went through rescue diver. And then mm. I years later moved out to Hawaii and decided I live in paradise. Why am I not using my certification? Um, and then completely followed through with dive master and instructor. So, so it was, it was out there that you really started to fall in love with it. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. It's, I it's, think uh, I haven't done any diving out here in the Northeast and I imagine that it, it doesn't compare to some other places and, and it can be quite honestly, like annoying, frustrating. Because it's cold, you can't see as well. Like, what's the Especially yeah, at first. It was, you don't want to love it, right? That's so true. And I've done diving in lakes. You know, growing up, I dove in lakes with my dad every single summer, but it was nothing to see. I didn't like fine tune my skills because there was nothing really there besides some rocks, some down trees, nothing fun. Um, and then when I ended up out in Hawaii, and there's coral and marine life and you're seeing manta rays and just beautiful formations underwater. It's a whole different world. When was that? When did you move out to Hawaii? And what for, by the way? I moved out there in 2016 to finish undergrad. Mm -hmm. So you went just for, for college and what were you studying? Um, animal behavior. And I was like, fine. I was ready to go down the marine biology route. And then I, it's, it's interesting um, how much work that actually takes and how little it pays. So I pivoted a little bit, but stayed to finish out and kind of created a career in diving by accident. Tell me about that. So like you, you've created a career up to this point in diving. Has, has that been exclusively what you've been doing? No, I work in marketing now and I have for the past few years. Uh, but on the side, I've, I've, well, I've been an instructor, a scuba instructor since 2017. And I've been teaching privately um, basically since 2017. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it hasn't been my full-time job anymore, but it's been so um, challenging and interesting and I would love to do it full time again at some point. It's just, you know, what you love doesn't always pay what you want it to. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to get you have to get really clever with yeah. how to make it work um, and stack some things. And and I know you're planning a, a trip for next year and we can definitely talk about that and um, in a little bit. And I'm curious, like what? What was it like for you um, diving in Hawaii and, you know, why was that the thing that like sparked, you know, you to want to start working 
teaching scuba and, you know, want to keep doing it more. What was it about that? Was there a specific memory you have of diving there? I have two very pivotal moments. Um, my first one was when I went out to my dog, when I went out to, um, I went on a dive with a company that I thought I would be working for in the future. And I ended up working for them, um, but not in the same capacity. And the, the dive instructor, I've always had really phenomenal dive instructors on the East coast. And the dive instructor, <laughs> I have a black lab. Her name is Maria. <laughs> She's fine. <laughs> um, but the dive instructor that I was with was kind of the worst instructor I've ever had. And he, I had mm. a little issue with some equipment and I knew how to solve it, but he didn't wait for me to solve it. He grabbed me by the back of the tank and kind of dragged me along fire coral. And my legs were chewed up with fire coral after that. And I was horrified that anyone would do that in the first place. And I was like, I could do a better job than that, you know? Um, and then <laughs> I figured, I mean, <laughs> if anybody could, I could. Uh, and then my second part was I've always loved sharks. Like Shark Week is always my thing growing up. And I was so excited to sit in front of Discovery Channel as a kid every year. Um, and my first time ever seeing a tiger shark, I was completely head over heels in love. It was like the only thing I'd ever want to see ever again. And I knew kind of in that moment that I had to be underwater more than I was already. But ended mm. up down that you saw, So you saw a, a tiger shark while you were diving? I did. Out there? I've seen a, a bunch intentionally and a few by accident. Yeah. Um, but my first... Let's stay with the intentionally ones for a second. <laughs> what, what was that like the first time? Like you knew you were going to encounter this animal this deadly creature right what was going through your head well i'm going to incriminate myself a little bit if i tell you this story um it's not bad and it's yes. been, it's been a, a bunch of years so we're fine now um tiger sharks are predominantly seen in the area in hawaii that i was living in um in the mouth of the harbor where all the boats come out where all the fishermen come out all the tour boats and to see them um you have to go down there with a bucket of bait, which is super, super illegal. So the Department of Land and Natural Resources would fine you a hefty penny if they caught you doing it because you do have tourist divers down there. And if sharks start to associate divers with food, they get incredibly aggressive and then it causes problems in the tourism industry. So before I left Hawaii, one of my closest friends said, you have to do the tiger shark dive. You just have to do it. And I said, okay. Uh, so we had some friends that were on dual tanks. They were on side mount, which means they had one tank on either side. And one of our friends said, I'm going to go down about a half an hour before you, and I'm going to start to chum. So the morning of, I was so nervous. And he brought a bucket of fish, like a bag, a net bag of fish from fishermen from the morning of. And he went down there with a knife and just started scraping carcasses like 30 minutes before we got in the water. And I was like, I am crazy, but this is my last thing before I leave Hawaii. So it's going to be great. We ended up, three of us ended up going down together. And all I remember is I thought we were going to see like one or two tiger sharks. And there were five and they were circling us. Like I thought I was going to, in that moment, I was like, if this is how I die, this is the best way to go out. Like it really is. Um, 
But uh, my friend said, grab the bag. And I said, all right, fine. So I like, well, obviously he gestured it to me, not really said it underwater. But so I grabbed it and I was like, oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable like scraping the fish. So I didn't and I let go. Um, and then as I like kind of, they had, they're circling fully around us and I turn around and I see this very famous tiger shark that's coming up upon us. And we knew her name was Laverne and she was a big, big girl. But by the time she got to us, we realized that she was pregnant and hungry and very aggressive. (laughs) Um, and my heart was racing. Like, I don't think I've ever blown through air so fast in my entire career of diving. I've seen sharks a bunch and this time was just I was freaking out, but my friend is holding the bag and you see Laverne and she goes in kind of for the bag and he pulls it away. And then another shark comes in and goes in for the bag. Cause at this point they know they're not getting the fish anymore. Um, (laughs) and finally we're all swimming around. We see these sharks, you know, one of our friend has, one of our friends has a, a GoPro and he's taking crazy good footage, um, for what you could get on like a GoPro seven or whatever they were back then and finally my friend gets a little overzealous and starts to like go to pull a fish out of the bag and the tiger shark grabs the bag and yanks and my friend yanks back and the shark opened his mouth a little bit bigger and grabs a little bit more and just rips the bag away and disappears so now we're just sitting down there with no fish and tiger sharks circling us and the water is fully chummed and i was in a full-blown panic, but I found a tooth, which is the coolest thing I've ever found. (laughs) Uh, We ended up dipping out pretty quickly after that and trying to avoid Department of Land and Natural Resources on the way out. Uh, But, and after I called my mom and said like, don't freak out, I did a tiger shark dive. I lived, I'm fine. But it was the most (laughs) eye-opening experience I've ever had. And there's a picture of a tiger shark just like looking at me and me looking at it, realizing like, oh my God, this could be it, or this could be the best moment I've ever had. So very fun. <laughs> Luckily, it was the best moment. Best moment. And not uh, the end, yes. right? <laughs> but- I've heard that name before, Laverne. For where have I heard that before? It's- how how is she famous? How is that shark famous? <laughs> Because I've heard that name for a, for a She's shark. the most popular and most cited tiger shark in the Kona area. And there's a bar named after her. Yeah? Hmm. She must be, she must be pretty old. I think so. She's a... How long do they live? How long do those sharks live? I'm not 100% sure. I can look it up really quick. What? She was 15 How big feet was it? in length. Um... I don't, oh my God. so apparently they don't live that long. Oh, uh, about 12 years, at least 12 years, so. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty long for a wild animal that with predators and, you know, other animals yeah, like there. Puppy. Interesting. <laughs> that might, yeah. Right, there you go. <laughs> you can keep it as a pet. Oh man. My, my wife, you know my wife, she, she's obsessed with sharks. And a couple of years ago, she went out to Mexico and dove with the, the oh. Great Whites. She did uh, one of those, cage, like a, a cage dive um, on right on Guadalupe Island, I think it was. And when she described it to me, I mean, we were, uh, yeah, we were engaged at the time and she, she had, you know, gone away to 
go dive with sharks and I couldn't get in touch with her for six days. And, and I'm like wondering, oh man, is she going to come back? And, um, yeah, the video, the video she showed me of, you know, she's down in a cave, a cage. They have like the one right just below the surface. And then one that's like 10 meters down and either one, but like, you, you just see great white circling in, in this video and it's insane. And people are taunting, like they're, they're chumming the water or they're putting something in the water. I don't know if it's chum, but like apparently yeah. you're not supposed to do that. But they're, they're really taunting these animals and, and they're coming at the cage, like jaws wide open, biting on the cage. I'm freaking out just watching the video. I'm like, how do you, how do you do that? And I love diving, but more like recreational. I love um, mm -hmm. I love free diving and um, and just yeah, enjoying the the movement Casual through the water. Um, I'm I'm petrified. Yeah, terrified of sharks. It's yeah. wild. What what do you think it is about you that that lets you like be so? calm about it well i'm sure you weren't like calm but confident that you're gonna do okay you know that you're gonna survive is it you're trusting in nature or what is it about that that you can handle um, the fear well i have so to well? just say i i've done a ton of shark diving since that moment and every time it gets better and every time my heart rate goes a yeah. little bit like drops a little bit more and more so i think after you have an encounter with such a majestic animal, I, I almost say it's like meeting a moose in the mountains. It's like you have a level of respect for that animal that is so yeah. unparalleled to anything else. And it's just, they know that you are an apex predator. I want to say that. <laughs> you know that they're an apex predator. There's just a calm in the water between the two of you that you know you're both going to go unharmed. And it's just like a cool experience every time. Have you seen that? Uh, there's a, a picture I'm looking for it now. There's a, a woman who I was have. free diving uh, with Ramsey. great whites. Yeah. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> on her, uh, on someone taking that level of risk? Um, or even just yeah, going I've after actually that. been like, on her boat before. Uh, I haven't seen her white, <laughs> but yeah. we did have, um, I forget what kind of sharks we, we saw out there that day. I have pictures, but I think if you are trained for something like that and you work with them every day and you have kind of a level of respect, like I want to say she does, or I would have in the same, I guess, uh, experience, I think it's worth it. I think she, she did an awesome job she navigated it very casually um very well but she she's pretty active around sharks i mean that's what her whole life is about so it's it's nice yeah yeah so you've been on a boat with her what what is that is does she have like a a liveaboard or like a so i've been on her runs? specific boat i haven't been with her as a person but um she runs a ship or a boat out of Oahu that does um, shark conservation. I love it. I love it. It's fascinating to me, the the connection you can make with animals in that way. And I just remember looking at the photo of her mm -hmm. like face to face with a great white. And, and, you know, everyone has that iconic like image of a great white shark in their 
somewhere in the back of their mind. And it's, it's like, it's scary, right? Everyone's been to an aquarium where they have the mandible of, of a shark just out there somewhere. And you're like, holy shit, it's that big. <laughs> How do people do it? <laughs> what do you think is the draw to, to, to doing things like that, to putting yourself into situations where, you know, you could be <laughs> eaten or to, you know, um, really be that vulnerable what is it about people that um, makes them do that oh, what makes you know what, them i can't do answer that? anybody else honestly um i'm at the point in life where i don't necessarily see it as yeah. a risk anymore like I, I just you know people skydive and and it's an adrenaline rush and people say the polar opposite about diving people say like it's or i say also the most pure form of meditation so when you see if you're in such a calm state of mind and you see such a beautiful creature underwater in that calm state of mind, there almost is no fear attached to it. It's more um, just like like an empowering, beautiful moment. That sounds so strange when I'm talking about sharks, but that is how it feels. Yeah, I can imagine that. When you use the word before, I use the word respect. Um, I imagine that's what's happening. And... Um, and animals can sense some fear too, right? They they can smell the changes in your bloodstream when when there's fear. Uh, I, your your body temperature rises a little bit too, and they can sense that. And when you know, imagine if we we had the same senses, we they'd be afraid too. I would be able to tell like they're not they're not really sure what's going on here. And, and when you can act in, a, in such a way, and, and this works with people too, I notice when you can act in, in a certain way, like you give off a certain level of energy mm -hmm. um, or a certain type of energy, depending on your state, your conscious state of mind and like what's happening subsurface, like you go into this with stress or um, some anger and you're not gonna have a good time, especially if you're surrounded by sharks. But if you're calm and you're like grateful and appreciative, like that comes off in a certain way. And I'm, I can definitely see the, the meditation aspect. It's like you're in a, especially because you have the, the flotation and the weight. So you can equalize and you're just floating there, one with nature yeah. in so many different ways, you know? Um, and, and it's so quiet too. It is. And I, so I have to just quiet, add on the, right? the whole shark aspect for one second, I think, and then we'll bounce back to how it really is meditation. Um, but I think a lot of people have, this is a huge thing on social media, especially how a lot of people have a, a kind of a negative image of sharks just because of how they're portrayed in the media. But when you're going to go explain what a shark is to a kid or why a shark bites something or someone, it's never, um, it's really never out of aggression. I always explain it like humans have hands. So our first reaction is to reach out and touch something and feel it. And like we have a sense of touch that's so important in our hands. And then we do other things like we smell it, we taste it, you know, things like that. But with sharks, they don't have that. And they're almost like they, they don't have, like even a dog has a form of a touch, whereas a shark doesn't have that. So when they're curious, they will sniff out and then bite. You never really see like sharks go after surfers in like an aggressive aspect and just rip them to shreds because they want to. It's more 
one bite and that's it because they just wanted to know what it was. So it's, it's almost, it kind of de-escalates the level of fear when you think about a shark like that. Hmm. I understand. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. We, we have, and I was reading some, or talking to someone recently and I read about this, um, a lot of animals have that, they'll like rub up against each other, sniffy dogs will sniff each other's butts, right? Um, or they'll, they'll like nudge or something like that. And humans don't really do that um, in our culture, but in other cultures they do. They, they embrace like first they'll hug or touch. And um, you can tell a lot, you actually can gauge a lot of trust through that mutual trust um it's tied to your intuition and other like uh like sensory experiences like how you judge certain things or how you expect certain things to be based on some feel and you can like literally get an energetic response sometimes like shivers or um or something like that um, and I imagine, yeah, sharks are going after the same thing because they've developed and underst to understand that um, they need to test right, before they just bite into things, you know, just like a dog would, right. would you know, want to make right. sure that they're yeah. humping a dog first. I mean, but in, they don't in really all care reality. either way. <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, it's, it's. Oh, no, I was just saying, in all reality, like. Yeah, go ahead. Um, What'd you say? Even though, I mean, most people would see it as like a, a very fearful thing to encounter mm -hmm. underwater. I think other aspects of diving are way scarier and way more dangerous. <laughs> so a shark is nothing. It's just like happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of those irrational fears, right? And and yes, like a lot of things can can go wrong when you're diving. And most of the time it's it's like most other high adventure or um, riskier sports because it's you're dealing with equipment and then you're also dealing with people and there's user error right but that's why there's as standard operating procedures and checklists and you have to ha use good judgment and it takes levels of certification to be able to do certain things in the water right and have to insurance uh, policies you know those help too yeah <laughs> for sure oh that's true that's 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 helpful i imagine um yeah, I I remember watching, going to see the movie. Me and my wife, me and Val went to see okay. this. We saw the movie Forty Seven Meters oh, Down. Have. <laughs> have you ever seen that? It is it is, it is so ridiculous. <laughs> and, and I've seen all the yeah. sequels too because it's so bad. It's great, uh, but they like they just over exaggerate. Not even the shark part, but they over exaggerate what could go wrong. <laughs> in a, in a dive situation. Right. And, and granted, like, I remember, it, I think it was the first one. I don't remember, but it, it was like, they went out on this dive and it wasn't like a sanctioned right. tour boat or something. So no one was coming to get them. Right. It was that kind of situation. And no, I'm, um, I'm so, um, no one can watch really movies with me because I critique everything to a T. Like, I mean, I've had so much training that I feel like I'm justified in critiquing them, you know, but mm. <laughs> nobody that's watching them 
from a recreational point of view wants to hear me talk about why the gear is set up incorrectly or, you know, why they can't actually stay at that depth for that long. So I do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done the same thing watching some, like some movies that involve like rock climbing or something. And it's just blatant that it's, it's not even, they're not even attempting to do it right. <laughs> or uh, yeah. It, I, I sometimes, um, you know, maybe you're like me, you have this analytical brain and you like to do things a certain way. Right. And that's why we learn, like, I want to learn the best way to do something and also the, like the correct way, but sometimes to go and enjoy a movie or what, or a TV show is really difficult because yes. we just pick like, out all the parts that were wrong, you know, that's that's really popular. I've I've heard from a lot of friends um, who were in the military and watch um, like war movies or movies about the military and just point out every single thing that is yes. totally yeah. overinflated or inaccurate. <laughs> right? It makes it, it gives us like a false sense of I know. Belief I'm actually or false belief about the way curious the world really to watch is. the new cave diver movie, the one about the, the, the way that got trapped. Because I've heard that it's pretty accurate, and I'm ready for that. I mean, that's technical diving, but I, I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> What's that story? Kids got trapped cave diving? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, actually, it might have been more than a couple of years ago now, um, some kids got t trapped in a, a Thai cave, I believe. And it was, they weren't diving, they were just um, exploring with their, you know, guide and they got stuck. And cave divers had to come in and, and like manually extract them with a whole bunch of technical equipment. And I, I think they had to like drug the kids just to get them out. And it was very, some really tight fit uh, holes. Oh my God. So, and that's a, they made like a documentary on that or is it a movie? Yeah, there, there was an actual documentary that came out about it. Um, but I think they're make, they've just recently made it into a pretty serious movie. And all everyone in my dive community has said it's it's pretty spot on. So I'm excited to see that. Interesting. Where where can we find that? I'm curious now. Because that's the type of weird stuff I want to learn about. Well, to find out. Um, Good thing we have Google. I know. I think it's called something like Thirteen Lives or something like that. Yeah, Thirteen Lives movie. Yes. Hmm. Is that how many kids were, were trapped? 13? I believe so. Oh, this was like last week this movie came out. Yeah, it just came out. Oh, wow. Oh, the caves flood, and that's why they had to send in rescue divers, like divers. Yeah, and they were cave kids, so they, and they, I mean, I've, I've been cave diving enough to know how freaky it gets, and kids who have no training yeah. and, you know, don't have yeah. any inside on it they must have been petrified you've been cave diving before where did you go um so technically i'm not a trained cave diver i'm a, a cavern diver at this point which means that i can't cave dive on my own <laughs> um but i've been i've done the cenotes in mexico a few times and they've been awesome and you, you know you get into the water and you see stalagmites and stalactites and just the tight squeezes and um, now I'm just getting into technical terms with jump lines and 
Um, there's one cave that you can go into, I guess it's a cavern, where you can see mammoth bones. Um, there's a, a skull from... What's a, a what's a jump line, by the way? Since yeah, you're so, getting technical, let's get, give some context. So I'm, I'm not a, a, a fully certified cave diver, but I'll tell you anyway. So a jump line yeah. is when you cave dive or cavern dive, you do need some kind of entry and exit point. Um, typically, they're the same place, the entry and exit mm-hmm. uh, you know, point. And when you right. cave dive, you can see sunlight. But when you cave dive, there's no sunlight at all. So mm-hmm. you need a, a rope that's attached to something. Um, you start it at the beginning of your cave, and then you run it through your cave or your cavern. Um, and technically trained cave divers have something called a jump line, which is they'll tie jump lines, like a line off their immediate main line, to go into smaller on like kind of underexplored caves so they can always find their way back which is really interesting mm. so so i imagine when you like enter into a cave there's like a network and you can go in through different passageways i've done some some caving like spelunking before yeah just like um, that. like crawling through the caves i imagine it's exactly the same yeah that's really cool. But what do you do if there's a shark in the cave? Um, I don't think I've ever. <laughs> Typically, I don't. I don't really know any sharks that are real freshwater lovers. But if that happens, I would be in heaven. <laughs> right. I think that was in one of those those movies. There, like the the great whites got into this old cave. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I know. But so this was freshwater. These were freshwater caves that you went into. So they're freshwater caves. They're, yeah. Um, Honestly, I'm I'm really terrible at the history of it, but they're they range anywhere from from super shallow like 20 feet to like 300 and change, and they it's an entire wow. cavern system that's under um, like the Yucatan area in Mexico. Very cool. Wow. Yeah. What's the visibility <laughs> like in the water? It's incredible. It because it's fresh water and there isn't any kind of like. Um, sediment that gets really kicked up unless you're a terrible diver or, (laughs) uh, you know, there's no, um, rust coming down off the roof of a, of a a shipwreck. There's nothing that's getting in the way. So the visibility is awesome. And we did a couple recently, I went with some friends and we did a couple caves or caverns that, um, had a halocline, which is a mixture of saltwater and freshwater because of runoff from the ocean. And it becomes like, um, like a blur, like you're actually swimming through what looks like, like oil. It's crazy. I've never seen anything like it before. And then you come up like two inches. Oh, and that's not Yeah. So it's where the, the fresh water or the, the salt water is like running in and running through before it starts to disperse and blend in. Right. Right. And, uh, mm. water is heavier typically. Yeah. yeah. Which makes no sense, but to me it does. <laughs> so, so it's so as as you descend, it gets foggier or, or less yep, clear. Exactly. So, if I, I'm curious too, and I don't have as much diving experience, I've only done, dove in salt water and only in the Caribbean. Okay. So, that's my experience. Um, so, if you are if you're in a mix of freshwater and salt water, does your buoyancy change? Um. Uh, as you it, move? I mean, I guess because it's a mixed, um, it's like a, a whole mixture, it's not yeah. really going to change that much. It didn't feel much different. Um, 
-hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm just saying that because I'm a seasoned diver, but I don't think I felt much of a difference. I think yeah, it was yeah. more focused on the fact that I felt like I was visually drunk, like everything was very blurry. Um, not not actually narked, just very visually blurry. <laughs> have you ever been drunk and gone scuba diving? That's, Ooh, <laughs> that's a question. <laughs> but I have been intentionally no. narked. Um, intentionally narked? Yes. I had... Uh, so, okay, so back... Give the audience the definition yeah. of narked and then tell that story. I'm curious. So narked is when you, uh, so nitrogen narcosis is, um, the, the Navy used to call it martini syndrome. It's basically when you um, absorb too much too fast when you descend and you get the feeling of being drunk underwater, which is why it was named or coined martini syndrome originally. Uh, and the cure is just to go up a little bit and you're fine. It, it clears very quickly. It's just, just, you know, how your body processes, um, what you're breathing in basically. Uh, I had one of my dive master instructors said, if you're going to teach it, you need to know what it feels like. And we were like, Oh man. Okay. So, um, he brought down a baby block, like those toy blocks that have the X's and the O's and the squares. And he said, swim down to to hundred feet like as fast as you physically feel comfortable, you'll feel a little bit narked. And I said, okay. And we all did. And then he hands you, hands you the baby block and he says, put everything in the right shapes. You know, he does it in front of you. You're like, oh man, okay, fine. So you take the blocks or I took the blocks and I'm staring at them realizing, and I'm not the kind of person that's going to try something unless I'm going to be able to successfully accomplish it. And I just handed it right back. <laughs> and I watched all of my other, uh, all the other dive master candidates, like try and put the, the X in the square and the circle just wasn't fitting right. And then you come up like three feet and you look at this thing like, oh my God, this is a child's toy. Like I know exactly how to do this, you know, with my eyes closed. Mm. It's an interesting lesson to learn just because you do realize, uh, how mind altering it is and, you know, how the little things underwater can impact how you function, how you handle safety procedures. Unfortunately, nitrogen narcosis is a leading cause of death in shipwrecks. When you're swimming through a shipwreck and if you get narked, we, there was a, a, there's a famous boat, the Vandenberg in Key West, that you hear a lot of stories about people dying in the middle of the boat because it's, it's deeper than you expect and people don't kind of, it is user error but you don't necessarily account for the depth when you're swimming through the ship. And there was a guy um, a couple of years ago who got narked and panicked and took all of his equipment off in the middle of the boat. It does lead to injury. Hmm. That reminds me of a story I heard about, and I hear, you hear this a lot about um, when people are on Mount Everest and they are at uh, above the death zone, which is 8,000 meters or higher in elevation. And, and if you can fathom that, that's, the, that's about where planes fly when they're you know, traveling across the country, 29, 28, 29,000 feet. Um, when, it, when, you know, when you're up there, you get a couple of problems can occur. There's AMS, which is acute mountain sickness, which is really similar to narcosis. It's just, it's decreased oxygen in the air. So there's, so it's increased nitrogen, carbon, and um, 
and hydrogen. Yeah. And, and that causes um, delusions, um, sometimes psychosis, sometimes um, hallucination and people and, and also like you're you're freezing. And so people will will get acute mountain sick, sickness and then start taking off their layers. But it's minus 50 minus 90 degrees out because um, they'll and, and this happens when you when you're hyperthermic hypothermic too, right? You start to think right. you're sweating, so you, you shed. And so people will shed layers and then oh freeze to death. Yeah. And uh, and the and just like with narcosis, the cure is go down and even just a foot or two, uh, you know, instant relief. I was just in Colorado a couple of weeks ago. We were climbing and we're at 14,000 feet and it's that's half of Everest and it's not that bad, but still coming from sea level, you feel it. It's really difficult. It's like breathing through a little coffee stir, like those little yeah. straws with tiny holes. And, and, and yeah, you're struggling, you're struggling to breathe, catch up. But as soon as you stop moving, yeah. you're good. Uh, and then the moment you start to descend, it's like you feel a hundred pounds lighter and you can suddenly take deep breaths. It's insane. But that's interesting how people can panic and it, it comes down to your control over your emotions yeah. too. People panic in these moments of, of fear when when they're because they're uncomfortable they're not sure mm -hmm. what to do um they're they're maybe not trained well enough or aren't ready to handle certain situations yeah. it's why most accidents happen to be honest like just stupidity or lack yes, of preparation exactly. and right i think um i've only ever had one like panic moment underwater and i think it it fully deterred me from finishing a specific type of training for about a year and a half and it was my fault but it was still very eye-opening so I understand so I'm, I'm curious you you're planning a trip for the springtime correct I am yeah tell me about that what what inspired you to do that to plan a, a dive trip is this the first one by the way that you that you're planning on your own this is the first of my own yes um I planned, I love planning. I am a planner down to the minute before, you know, you board a plane, like I'm that person. Um, diving and travel are two of my biggest joys in life. And I intentionally travel to dive as often as I possibly can. And the more I post on my own personal social media, the more I've seen people really kind of love what I do, which is awesome. Um, and I've always wanted to open that opportunity up to other people. And I think a lot of people don't always want to go on a trip because they don't know the people and they don't want to go solo. Uh, so I understand. And I figured that if I do it, people will know who the organizer is. People will know, you know, what my level of training is. They'll have a kind of a level of trust in me. So I... I'm putting together my first official trip to um, the Cayman Islands in March, and it'll be just a fun recreational dive trip. So we'll we'll see. It's it's still a work in progress, <laughs> but we'll get there. What what um what goes into planning a trip like that? So 
originally my idea was just to get a trip off the ground. Um, but as I started doing the research, I realized that I can't, I mean, I can, I can plan a trip and just have everyone pay their own way and, and, you know, do it like for fun. Um, but I realized that people want things done for them. So I had to kind of very quickly understand how to open a business, <laughs> um, you know, start an LLC, figure out what insurance is yeah, needed. Yeah. What can I even do business in another country as a tour and travel company, realistically. It's been a lot of logistics um, and we're not fully done, but for this, it's just basic stuff. You know, it's figuring out rooming and who's going and dietary things, very, very boring aspects. But the fun part is getting to plan the dives. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've planned, um, I've led some trips. I, that's part of my business. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. planning another one backpacking in Washington in a couple of months. And yeah, the logistics are challenging. Yeah. Um, think trying to arrange people's uh, schedules and yeah. transportation is hard, is <laughs> like the hardest part. Um, the trips that I do, like the last one, we had people from both, you know, from New York, Boston, Texas, California, um, Colorado, all over the country, and trying to coordinate that. It's a lot. So everyone can arrive at the same time and we can all do, you know, it's, it's fun. Uh, and you're right, people love to have things done for them. It's, it's why people love like these all-inclusive things and it's so worth it too if you can do it. And like you're adding value because it's personal, it's you, it's like this tighter group, this community. So people are so into that yeah. stuff. And yeah, it's it's fun. And then the fun part is actually digging in and say and seeing what you're gonna do, like what dives you're gonna do, right? And what um, adventures you're gonna go on. And and just imagining that is is worth it. It makes it so fulfilling. Exactly. And I talk about like turning your your uh, passion into a career. Yeah, right? it's, it's a, a long road and I know that and I'm I'm very in awe of people, you know, like yourself who are pushing through and doing exactly what you want and making it your life and that's kind of the goal. So at this point I I realize I can't be employed. <laughs> I don't blame you for one, in one, you know, I get it fully. There's a level of freedom. Yeah, I'm unemployable, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, and, and, and also when, when you get a taste for what, what's possible, mm -hmm. then it's really hard to, to not, it's like when a shark tastes blood for the first time, right? Yeah. It's, it's really hard to, to walk away from that. Um, and it's also, it helps you to recognize like, okay, I can do this, especially because other people do right. it. Like if, if other people can do it then I can definitely do it. The only thing that, that prevented me from like taking like taking people out on trips, like backpacking or hiking trips or climbing trips was um, lack of some lack of knowledge. Okay, that's easy. And some imposter syndrome, like, who am I to, to do it? Who am I to, to, you know, lead people on these things or teach people certain skills? It, 
And then I realized, well, I, hey, I've been doing it for 20 years. They've been doing it for no years. So I've got that. Um, with diving, though, I imagine you have people that are seasoned or they've been diving before. That's who you're looking for, right? Um, you know, that, and, and from what I have seen in the diving community, um, people look for things like this. They look for trips. They look for groups, too, especially. Right. People love going with like consistent groups to, to different. Yeah. What made you choose the Cayman Islands? By the way? Um, actually, it was kind of selfish. <laughs> I originally I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I started I mentioned this a little bit ago, but I started um, my own technical training pre COVID and never finished because of COVID. And then I've been looking for a place to finish it with um, specific instructors. And I found uh, a very awesome, reputable company that does technical training in the Caymans. And I was so excited. I was like, this is it. I'm going to set up this group trip and finish my tech training. And everyone's going to have a great time. And then I'll just like meet up with them after every dive every day. And then I figured out that uh, after talking to the company, they didn't have a a technical trainer on staff at this point, which was really depressing for me, but kind of made it better because now I get to be the leader of every, every dive, every, you know, excursion, every, everything. So it'll be fun. Oh, yes. Yeah. You get to be that like person that people are going to remember, right? Like oh. you led them through, you led them through these like amazing experiences. That's so worth it. You'll get to do that your the rest of your certification eventually too. I hope so. I hope so. But it's, it's what comes so, with that the tech diving. What 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 are you allowed to do with with that certification? I'm curious. Yeah. So technical diving is, or at least what I'm hoping to do with it is um, dive deeper for longer. So recreational limits are 130 feet is your max depth, and you can go no deeper. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. predominantly because at a certain depth, oxygen alone becomes toxic, but also um, you go into something called deco, which uh, you have to do longer decompression stops as you surface. And realistically, based on the size of your tank, you would run out of air if you you know, ran into an issue. So technical diving is multiple tanks, um, longer dives, deeper dives, uh, different air mixtures. So you're not diving just nitrox or oxygen anymore. You're on like a trimix, which is, has helium in it as well. So it's, it's cool. It's a lot. It's obviously with any higher skill level comes more, um, things to be aware of, but it's something I've wanted to do for years because I love wreck diving. That's my number one. Mm. Yeah. And I imagine it's hard to reach some hard to reach some some shipwrecks that are way below what's so the deepest you've gone i imagine you've gone 130 feet you've probably yeah, gone have, more than that yeah i've been deeper um i started my tech training so i have uh i think right now max 155 i think was max depth hmm. what's it like at that depth um, actually kind of like what you explained with climbing, it's, um, harder to breathe <laughs> for sure. It feels like you're breathing out of a straw. You feel everything so much more intensely. Like when you take a breath, you feel that breath come in. It's not just like casually breathing anymore. Um, you burn through air a lot faster. 
you have to be aware of a lot more. You have to pay attention to your computer a lot more, but you can spend two hours on the bottom and that's awesome. Hmm. You can spend more time under? Yeah, you can because you have... Is that because of the mixture or that you have more... Do you take more air with you? You do. You take more air with you and you have mixtures. And then at a certain point, you have something called a deco bottle. So you'll have a different gas mixture on your back as your regular tanks. And then you have a deco bottle, which is an oxygen change. So at a certain depth as you surface or upon your ascent, you'll be switching out. Uh, different gas mixtures to allow for off-gassing faster. So it's obviously more mm. intense, more dangerous, but if you do it the right way, it's not. Yeah, I'm sure it's safe when you do it, when you follow protocols and you have to be, of you know, like we talked about before, like able to make good decisions and clear-headed, you know, <laughs> not drunk. Um, and I had another, oh yeah. This question, really important question. What what do you do to stay like? What do you do to stay fit for your dives? Um, and what do you do outside of diving to prepare yourself for it? Um, so this is an interesting question because the stigma has changed quite a bit in the past ten years. But prior to me really getting involved in diving. Um, diving was originally coined as like the old, rich, fat, white man sport because you throw on a tank and you sink to the bottom and you look at some pretty fish and you surface and that's, you need to be in zero shape for that. You can be as large and as buoyant as you want if you can strap weights on you, you know? Um, but for me, I think working in the dive industry has really changed how I view physical fitness because you are lugging tanks. You are... You know, those tanks are heavy. You have to be able to carry two as you're walking to a boat. Um, I'm a big weightlifter in my personal life just because I enjoy it, but it has absolutely changed how I handle dive equipment and how easy it is for me now to handle dive equipment. <laughs> and I can throw it around a lot faster than I ever could in years, you know, before. Hmm. So the stigma is that um, you don't need to be fit. It used to be. And you, you got to be an overweight white guy yeah. with a lot of money. It definitely used to be. Yeah. Diving is yeah, not sounds right. It's like any, you know, any big sport like skiing. But in your open water classes, they, they, there's a big section that says um, physical fitness. So you have to get signed off by a doctor to participate in open water classes or actually any courses. Uh and you sign a medical waiver when you get on a boat and or when you go with any dive company because cardio health is extremely important in the diving world and lung capacity and just kind of, you know, is your body able? Can you do, can you swim? Can you, you know, is your heart healthy enough for depth? Things like that. I'm sure a lot of different things come up once you once you get into it. You realize some some weaknesses, right? What what are what other than physical fitness, weightlifting? Do you do anything on the mental, emotional side to prepare or to keep yourself in a certain headspace? I think it's the opposite. I think diving keeps me sane completely. Hmm. 
It is. Yeah, that's your meditation. It right? absolutely is. I'm not a yoga fan. I don't slow down ever. I'm doing things, you know, a mile a minute, every minute of every day. And the second I hit the water, it's like every aspect of my life just fades away. And all I do is listen to my breathing and think about, you know, where I'm sitting within the water column. And I've added a camera into my mix, so now I pay attention to that a little more. But it is so therapeutic that, I mean, I tell my boyfriend all the time, like, oh, God, I just need to go diving just to clear my head. You know, that's who I've become. Like like how most people would want to go to the gym or go for a walk. Yeah. You want to go diving. It's just so... What's the... What is the craziest place you've ever been diving? Ooh, uh, I don't think I've been anywhere crazy. I think I have the most memorable. Okay, most memorable. Well, crazy is coming up. I'm trying to book it for next year. But memorable is <laughs> last year I actually pre-COVID I booked a trip to Jordan um, with like a very famous company, mm. and all I wanted to do was dive Aqaba, which is they sunk an entire military fleet. They have shipwrecks. There's a plane down there, like really, really cool stuff. And I love wrecks. So it got canceled over and over and over. And then, um, and I booked it solo just to meet up with a bunch of random strangers. Um, and then in September of last year, this past, yeah, last year, uh, I went and it was, it blew my mind. It was some of the coolest diving I've ever done Marine life is so much larger in the Red Sea than you'd ever see anything, you know, like around here. Nudibranchs, little tiny little creatures, are, are very small in Hawaii. Not that you can see my fingers right now, but very small in Hawaii. <laughs> and in Jordan, they were humongous. They were like the size of my thumb. It was, the wrecks were so cool. They were tipped on their side and there were air pockets and just absolutely perfectly intact, just beautiful boats. It was, there were helicopters down there. Obviously I'm really talking it up now, but <laughs> very cool. And then, and that's in the Red Sea is, what's the visibility like there? I mean, I imagine you saw enough. Yeah, I saw enough. It, I, it's hard to say visibility uh, because it changes so often. You know, it, it really differs depending on weather or, yeah. rain or anything. Um, we have pretty good visibility though. I think we had like 17 feet, 18 feet, 20 feet on a, one of our really good dives. We did a night dive. It was, you could see a lot and there's just everything you could imagine is there, which is nice. And what's a, what's one, adventure or place you really want to go what's on your list your bucket list um my number one or just in general one that's up there you know what's what's high on the list what's the top five okay. i don't know um, if you have i've got a top 10 for things i, want I have to do, a large know. lengthy list as well um so one of my i think my number one is a wreck that I have to be, I don't have to be, but I would like to be fully tech trained by the time I get out there because um, it's called the Thistlegorm and it was a British World War II ship that sunk um, off the coast of Egypt. And everything, if you look it up, is still down there. 
everything is perfectly intact from World War II. So there's cars and motorcycles and original gas masks down there and just everything from what you would expect would be on a World War II ship is still there in pristine condition. And that's, and that's Mediterranean Sea? Uh, or... I have to double check. I know where it is off Egypt. Hang on. <laughs> Sitting at my computer, I might as well tell you. It is, it's in the Red Sea. Yeah. So I'd be going back. Is it on the Gulf? It's yeah. Oh, that sounds so cool. Yeah. And then um, I have one off the coast of uh, like Northeast Florida or sorry, North. Yeah. Northwest Florida that I'm dying to do. And one in Malta that I'm itching to get out there for. So those are all shipwrecks. And then someday mm. I'll head out to mm. um, the Maldives for some more sharks. Mm. I've heard good things about the Maldives too. And those big manta rays that are out yeah, there. Yeah, I'm too, a little right? spoiled. Well, those are all over the place. I'm I remember specifically. I'm a little spoiled what was that? because I, when I lived in Kona in Hawaii, that's where the famous manta ray night dives are. So I did that for work for oh. years. Oh, man. <laughs> that sounds amazing. One of the things, uh, one of the places I would love to dive is in the, uh, there's a fissure in Iceland. Yes. Um, we went snorkeling okay. there. Yeah, mm -hmm. the Silfra fissure. We did, we went snorkeling. Um, and we went, it was in January, like the first week of January, it was fucking freezing. Um, and we're in dry suits, but still freezing, but it was so worth it. And the visibility is amazing. You can see like a hundred feet in every direction and you could drink the water. You just open your mouth and swallow. And it's, it's like crystal clear, like the cleanest water you'll ever have is amazing. But, but, you know, we're just on the surface and you can see down 40, 50, 60 feet into these little caverns. Uh, the only thing you have to yes. be dry suit certified to do it, um, which takes effort. So, you know? It takes a lot of dive. I um, imagine I'll get there at some I, point. <laughs> I'm laughing because last You're winter laughing. I decided to be kind of ballsy and I said, okay, I live in the Northeast. Diving is absolutely atrocious. Let me do an ice dive. So I got my dry suit. I, I intentionally knew I was going to be diving in cold water. So I, I had a custom dry suit built and then um, I said, okay, well, I guess I have to take my dry suit class. So I did, and then that went all fine. I did great. Uh, and then I was like, well, I'm going to do this ice dive, and I'm going to be the baddest diver ever, you know, in the Northeast. It was miserable. It was the worst dive I've ever done. I never want to do it again. I say that, but I'll probably do it next year. Um, dry gloves are not fun. Sweating to cut a hole open and then letting the sweat dry in your dry suit is not fun. Um, we had 30 mile an hour winds and hail on the surface and I was like overjoyed to get into the water. And then all I saw was a hibernating frog. <laughs> but do your dry suit anyway, it's great. <laughs> Thanks for the confidence. It's worth it, to have your dry suit is worth it. In Lake Where Champlain. Where was that? Where yeah. did you do that? 
Oh, so you're way up north where yeah, it's I'm really in, cold. Yeah. Yeah. Did you wear one of those um, like down suits so under they the make, dry suit? Um, the company that makes my dry suit also makes undergarments. And I had ordered like a very perfect thick yeah. down undergarment. Yeah. Um, it didn't come in time. So I wore oh, Nike dry oh, fit, like the thermal stuff. And then I wore a leopard onesie. I was also the only um, female who was doing this. So every time I geared up, I had to look like an absolute idiot in a leopard Phoebe pajama onesie. It was great. I was so cold. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I did it. I absolutely did you it. Did and it I can say I'm an ice diver now. Do it. Yes. Yeah, and the the dive in Iceland, although it's, yeah, it's Iceland, you don't have to dig through. It's, it's broken up already. It's always the same temperature too. The, the water is always 33 or 34 degrees, but the outside temperature is, it changes obviously. And the worst part, so like when we did the snorkeling, we started in one place and then we kind of, we, we went down through the fissure and out this cove around to where there were stairs. We'd go up and then walk back to the car. So it was like maybe a, a 300 meters away from where the vans were. Um, and so we're, we, we get out, we take the fins off and we're walking back and we're just in boots, the gloves and everything. And that's when I like, I started to like shiver and my, my, I have Raynaud's syndrome. So like really poor circulation in my fingertips and my toes. Um, and they started burning in pain and, uh, and we're in like the full suit with the, you know, the down jacket underneath. And it's like a down hoodie, like the whole thing. It was funny. It felt like I was in a sleeping bag. Um, and we get back to, we're, we're just in this, we get back into this van, they have the heat on and we're trying to like change and get out of these dry, these wet clothes. And I just remember like, this was amazing. <laughs> I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> Meanwhile, the whole time we're just suffering. It was miserable. In the water though, when you're moving and the water's running through, it oh, felt wow. okay. like, yeah, yeah, I, I haven't, uh, felt I mean, if I ever decide to pull the trigger on my dry yeah. suit instructor, I'll let you know, but, but I'll, I'm dying to get out there. So we'll have to compare stories at some point. Yeah, yeah definitely. What's, uh, what's one piece of advice you would give someone who wants to get into diving? Um, or I think um, sort of your biggest asset is your instructor. Um, definitely join communities, learn from other divers, ask every question. It doesn't matter if someone says it's a stupid question, um, but find an instructor that comes highly rated or has you know the best references and recommendations because your instructor can make or break your experience. And if you, I mean, I've, I've had students that I've spent two days with just working on buoyancy, but after the fact, they now travel the world to dive. So if you find an instructor that teaches to your learning style, you'll love it forever. Well, that's really good advice. And I imagine like 
you might not find that person right away. No, not at all. It, it took me years to find someone I truly Fortunately, you kept, you kept looking or you kept having opportunities where you could um, you know, find someone or where you could dive again and have a different experience. Fortunately, right? Definitely. Awesome. And, and last question, I asked everyone this, I asked everyone this question at the end. Uh, what is, what does being fit for adventure mean to you? Oh, I think it's, uh, physically fit is always like the, the, what people expect, but I think mentally prepared, mentally prepared, mentally ready, um, for whatever you're about to take on because it's, I mean, you can run a marathon and if you're not feeling ready mentally to run the marathon, it's not going to be a fun marathon. So it's as long as you're mentally ready, that's it for adventure. Well said. I like that. Thanks, Allie. Where can people find you where, where, if they are interested in diving? Um, you know, what, where can people get in touch with you and where would you want to send them? Yeah, um, at this point, we I only have uh, my Instagram page up and running, hopefully a website soon, which will be on the Instagram page. But um, just my handle is just my name, just at Allie Birch. Easy. Yeah, we'll, we'll tag. Uh, I'll, I'll tag that in the show notes and make sure everybody has your info. And yeah, so excited. When is your trip, by the way? When is that trip in the spring? Uh, in March, I believe it's the last week of March. I have two trips before that for my own personal yeah. gain, though. Where, so. where are you going first? <laughs> well, yeah. well, where are you going before that? Um, Indonesia in a month. Nice. Uh, that's that's my first one, and then um, hopefully um, the Bahamas to do some giant hammerhead nice. diving in February. Oh, that sounds awesome! I'm I'm excited to see, like, just watch <laughs> and see where you go and what you do. It's gonna be it's gonna be cool. <laughs> And uh, yeah, one day in in the future, I'm gonna I'm gonna join you. I'm gonna I'm gonna get out there. Yes, Definitely. please. That would awesome, be awesome. Allie. We'll pick a spot and I'll build it around it. 